The guy gets punched and like all of his face meat goes one direction <laughs> and like his spit goes another direction and maybe <laughs> his, it's just fun. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the TF Cast. I'm your host, Willis. Hey, we got Grum here in the solarium. It is May 31st, 2023. And I'm your host, Jacob Bases. Today with us, we have illustrator Kat Bauman to talk a little bit about her upcoming releases and what it's like to do that type of work. Kat, if you could just briefly introduce yourself to the audience and tell us what's coming up and we'll get into it. Well, hello, I'm Kat Bauman, and I'm just still a little starstruck by that like smooth readout you just did. <laughs> very smooth. Um, yeah, no, I'm a freelance illustrator, and I mostly do um, comic books and graphic novels. Um, and yeah, so I'm freelance, so you can also call me a contractor. That's a lot of what I do. I don't just do comics, because I also do kind of... A lot of things that come about that are within my wheelhouse, like I've done a lot of t-shirt designs around town. I've done a lot of stuff for KMSE Radio. Um, but yeah, mostly just comics and graphic novels right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of just a different... I was kind of mentioning uh, to Jacob before that's a little bit like a different project every few months, usually if work's coming in. So yeah, it's pretty varied. So for a, a freelance comic artist, what what is the process of you know, getting hooked up with a, a company that's making comics and bidding for that work and then working with the writers? Well, um, I feel like everybody has a different experience with it, especially like depending on where you live and, you know, when you kind of got into the industry. Um, so I don't really have any experience with kind of like bidding for work, um, which I think is a very privileged place to be. Um, I just kind of have lucked into certain circumstances where um, different people in the industry find my name through other, it's typically writers who reach out to me. Every once in a while, I've had editors from publishing companies reach out to me, but predominantly it's writers. Um, they'll see my stuff online or they'll see another book that I've illustrated or they'll hear about me through the grapevine. Um, and then they just kind of reach out to me. And if it works out, uh, I take the job and and just do it. And yeah, I mean, there's different processes too. like a lot of the times it's work for hire. So somebody will have a story written out already and then I'll work on like a page rate basis and, you know, communicate with them as I'm doing the thumbnails, which are kind of like storyboards, but more, you know, for comics. And then like if I'm doing the pencils in addition to like inks or if they're hiring, hiring me to do colors as well, that'll change like the price of the work too, or um, recently things that I'm working on are more like I'm working with different writers on like pitches to then send to different publishing companies. So mm. that's kind of a part of the process. I'm a little bit more new to now that I'm working with an agent. So, um, aside from that, it's mostly just kind of like, hi, my name is Tony Montana and I, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, wrote a comic and I am just going to fund it myself Or oftentimes people will use like a Kickstarter or something and pay you that way. And then self-publish it or try to shop it to an indie publisher. There's, there's so many ways that could come about, but mm. yeah, that was a lot of rambling. <laughs> you, you were working on this recent project, the Ben Mortara. Mm -hmm. And um, so with that as an example, like how is the, how, how have you been involved in helping make that possible? Uh, yeah. So um, Ben Mortara is a new story written by Arnon Shore. Um, and he's kind of heading the, um, Magid imprint, which is like a Jewish stories imprint, um, which is part of source point press. So source point press is a publisher, um, located in Michigan. And I first got linked up with them 
this sounds like the most boring thing, but I got linked up with them back in like 2019, 2020, when um, Frankie White and I um, did the graphic novel 20 Fists. And so SourcePoint Press picked it up and just kind of had my name on file and knew what my drawings looked like, saw that I did a lot of like action. That comic was a lot about like fighting. It was like a, it was described as a combination of like warriors and Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. So I think they saw that, um, knew that I was pretty quick with production and that I could draw fist fights. <laughs> and so they were like, this is an action series. Let's, let's reach out to her. So they reached out to me last summer, late summer to do like the ash can, which is kind of like a, it's like a pilot episode for comics. Okay. And I did the, um, the pencils, the inks and the colors for that. And then they were like, well, we have four issues on doc. Do you want to do those as well? So then I did the pencils and inks for those four issues. And so far two oh, of them are cool. out. Yeah. What is the average team size looking like on, on this? I, the, Comics for me are kind of like a shadowy industry because Ooh. I know there's there's so like there's so many of them being produced by like so many different houses and I walk into a comic book store I don't even know where to start you know oh yeah for sure um, like I, how many are are these basically like small projects that are being done by teams and picked up by large producers like kind of like streaming or something I don't know I mean I really don't know how streaming works but in this case of Ben Mortara the project was already set to go um because it was one of the like flagship not one of the flagship series of the imprints i don't think but um certainly written by the same author who did the flagship flagship series so they were already gonna do it and source point already had picked it up and they just needed to like assemble a team basically mm -hmm. um so once they got me and they told me the deadline <laughs> i was like oh i can't do colors so then they found a colorist mm -hmm. and they already had a letterer um on deck because i believe he lettered the ash can so um i think that's also really common especially with like bigger publishers too oftentimes a lot of the time it'll be like a different artist to do pencils and then a different artist for inks whereas i typically I would never um, force another artist to try and ink over my pencils because they're incredibly messy. Mm. So I can't see myself personally working exactly like that. But um, this is like at least the second time that I've handed off inks to another colorist. Uh, so okay. yeah, for Ben Mortar, we had Alex Eif. She did a gorgeous job with the colors. Um, and then Dave Lentz did the lettering for it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's different for every single project. Sometimes, especially if it's, it could be like a one man team too. If somebody like pitches a story to any, any publisher, whether it's like a big one or an indie one, and they might be the writer and the artist, and then they might also color it and letter it or to save time or meet a certain printing deadline. It's, it's easier to add more people on at the end of the production of it, you know, like just find a colorist and a letter, especially. Yeah. How much, how much do you get to talk to the artists? I mean, the, not the artist, the, uh, the writer. Oh, a lot. Um, I typically talk a lot with my writers, especially since, um, I would say over half, more than half the jobs that I've had so far in my career have been outside of like an official publisher kind of situation. So, um, I'm always very hands-on with the writer. Um, I don't know if it's like my flavor of like neuro spiciness, but I'm always like, I need to get every single detail <laughs> from you. Like I'll start, usually I'll look at their script. And then the next step that I do is thumbnailing. And in my process of thumbnailing, I have just a billion different notes in there. Like, like, Oh, what year is this taking place? Oh, what model of car do you think would be in this section or things? Just lots of questions. And so I rely on the, um, writers to be really open with communication with me and 
you know, of course, to varying degrees. Um, but yeah, I usually talk pretty directly with the writer just because that's going to be direct. Sometimes there's an editor involved, but they'll sometimes just answer questions about like schedules or if we can push things back, et cetera, or yeah, connecting you with the other parts of the team. And so, um, when you say you ink and pencil, you're saying that you do like the original sketch and then the ink over it. Is that what that means? Yep. And that goes for both traditional media and digital Okay, because okay. the process is essentially exactly the same. Um, yeah. so like for instance, uh, the, when I mentioned 25th that I did with source point press, that was all, um, penciled and inked traditionally on Bristol. Um, which is a pain in the ass. A lot of people still do it and swear by it. And it's really cool because, you know, it's a traditional way to do it. And at that point, some people will pencil in, you know, with blue graphite so that when it scans in, it's easier to eliminate the pencils. You don't have to erase them or anything. Oh. Or they'll use red. Um, and some, a lot of people just pencil traditionally with like a nice, like, I don't know if it's like a soft or a hard lead. It's been so long since I was you know, making good decisions about my mechanical pencils, but <laughs> um, then you have to pencil on Bristol typically and then ink over it and then erase all your pencils before you scan it. And oftentimes that involves like a cleanup process. You got to like up the contrast to make it easier for colors to go in there typically. Um, and then when you're coloring something that was inked traditionally, I'm sure everybody has a different process but the way that i have done it for previous stories that i drew traditionally is that i would scan it take it into like photoshop and set the layers where the inks are on to like multiply and then color underneath it so um but now i pretty much exclusively work digitally and i made that that transition because it was really hurting my hands so much to draw like 10 pages a week traditionally because I get super, super uptight because I'm just like, oh my God, I got to ink this page and my pencils, I have them tight. They're exactly where I want them and I need to make this neat so I don't have to scan everything and then like clean it all up or redraw certain things as soon as I get it in. And plus it's really hard because like if you pencil out something and then your writer is like, this is great, but can you make the figure slightly smaller in the panel? Yeah. Like if you're working traditionally, you got to just redraw that entire figure. Um, and if you're really disciplined you can stop yourself from putting way too much detail in something in the event that you have to erase and redo it and i think most people get better at that with time mm -hmm. um when you're working digitally it's so much easier because you can just select the thing that you already drew it's on its own layer mm -hmm. and then just resize it and it's just so much smoother and way faster and uh the cramping in my soon to be arthritic hands has decreased quite a bit since i moved to digital so and when it's digital the process is the same um pencils um i'll just do like a much messier drawing of the two scale page um but i'll work at like like a 30 percent opacity layer so that it's like lighter and then i'll do another layer on top that's like 50 percent if i'm refining lines and then once that's approved by my writer or the editor then i go in and ink it mm. yeah. wow. well th speaking of things we approve of this segue to our sponsor Ooh. On the top of a picturesque ridge lies a fundraiser like no other. One that pampers its bourbon like its own babies. Hi, I'm Holly from FOCP. And if you love beers, brats, and bourbon as much as I do, then you'll appreciate the craftsmanship and quality of a local nonprofit who brings the best 
bourbon goodness, dazzling beers, memorable brats, and riveting music to the most fun fundraiser on June 22nd. Come taste the difference doing good can make in your life. You'll remember the experience and you'll remember the name. Bourbon, brats, and beer. Bourbon, beer, and brats. Beer, brats, and bourbon. And don't forget, not only are you attending the greatest party on this side of the Mississippi, you are also supporting FOCP's work of feeding over 1,000 area youth. Now that's something to cheers about. Get your tickets today at feedingandfueling.org. For $15 off your ticket, enter the code 15OFF at feedingandfueling.org. Hope to see you there. Three, two. All right. Thank you so much for sticking with us through that. We're back with illustrator Kat Bauman. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the nitty gritty of how you put some of these panels together and stuff like that, but let's pull the focus back a little bit and talk about how you got into this field and what the work is like day to day. Um, what, what brought you into illustration? Do you have any formal education in? Um, so, uh, what brought me into illustration is the only discernible skill that I had at age eight was drawing. So I kind of just ran with it. Um, (laughs) Oh, no, I'm, I'm kidding, but also not kidding. But um, no, I've just always been drawing since I was younger. And I fell deeply in love with like reading manga online when I was a kid, because I grew up in the middle of nowhere, um, didn't really have access to comic shops. So that's why a lot of my experience is a lot more in like, you know, Korean manhwa and, and manga and stuff like that. But um, so I, I knew I wanted to tell stories through comics. And I do have a formal education. I have a bachelor's in art, in studio art to be exact. So when I was in college, I did mostly like oil painting. Um, and I even did like a little, I dabbled in some animation too. Um, mostly like hand-drawn stuff. Um, so yeah, um, after I graduated, I was already doing freelance illustration on the side. But um, since like my sophomore year of college, I was working as a cake decorator. So that was a really nice job that was still arts related while I was trying to get my freelance up and running. So I did that for about, um, I want to say like eight or nine years until I finally like dropped off with that and then was able to do freelance illustration full time. Oh, um, and also for education, I did an internship at Helioscope Studios in Portland, Oregon. Um, so it's just this great studio full of, um, like veteran artists who've been working in the comic industry, like new ones and also people who've been doing it since the eighties. So, um, that was a really great experience. And, uh, that was kind of when I started getting just like hog wild, just super deep into comics and, um, yeah. Uh, what was I talking about? So that's kind of like the education side of it. Um, when I finally got to do uh, freelance full time, um, was maybe like 2019. It was actually right before the pandemic. So weirdly, when the pandemic hit, um, I was weirdly not affected professionally that much because I was already just kind of holed up in my studio alone all the time. So <laughs> was that like a boom period for comics? Did more comics get produced during the pandemic? 
I mean, I can't say exactly. I, I mean, I could imagine for sure, because a lot of people, you know, were for better or for worse, you know, cut off from their normal jobs or the normal activities. So a lot of things did get produced mid pandemic, just like every other industry. And it's a lot safer and easier to make comics than it was to do a lot of other things. Like it was harder to make a TV show or a movie during the pandemic. But mm. um, comics outside of being like in an actual studio setting, like at Helioscope, um, you can just do that work at home from afar. Most of the people that I've worked with have been on other parts of the country anyway, so we weren't hindered really by pandemic uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And um, so what, what was, you mentioned some of the early inspiration was from manga. Um, how did you get started with drawing? I imagine I'm probably not the only person who had some super limited experience like trying to draw cartoons as a kid but it I never know. really went anywhere um it's not stuck with me per se so yeah how'd you like how'd you bridge that gap and get curious about that stuff yeah i also had a comic strip that i would write called candy man when i was a kid <gasps> was it at all like similar to like the horror movie no no it was like a uh think batman but all of his um like tools are made of candy instead darling Mm -hmm. and his uh sidekick was a a little boy with a licorice whip bring it back (laughs) bring it start it do it right now (laughs) how how did you keep going when me and willis stopped (laughs) um well i i honestly i don't have a good answer for when i started doing art i cannot remember not drawing yeah yeah um which i think is like really common because and i think somebody like said this i saw it years ago that like a lot of kids start drawing and they either like get discouraged at some point or just lose interest and then just never kind of follow through with it because literally, and I stand by this, like anybody can draw if you, all it takes is time. It literally just takes time. Um, I always feel terrible when people, um, say the phrase like, I can't even draw a stick figure. It's just kind of like, first of all, yes, you can. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a stick figure. You can do it. Second of all, it's just time. It's not like some kind of crazy cosmic power. Like you don't just pop out of the womb drawing perfectly it's 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 mundane and it's at times boring and frustrating but you just kind of do it because you love doing it and then over time it starts to look more acceptable um or like most artists i know you constantly like look at your own work and think like oh looks terrible i'm not gonna look at it again once i send it away and it's published (laughs) yeah i have the same experience with guitar of people like coming up and being like oh i wish i could play guitar like that and i'm just like well yeah i i didn't start doing it like i I don't know just takes fingers i feel like that's a big difference between art and music even from what we've experienced on this podcast that people accept how much practice goes into music, but people treat art like photography a lot in some ways mm. where they just... It's also a skill you have to build up. Yeah, yeah. and I shouldn't even say it about photography because it does take a long time to learn photography, but like that, the fine, like the the movements of doing it with your hand is like, it, it, it is no different than that kind yeah. of like musical talent. Yeah. It's way yeah. more forgiving though, because like I have, I'm going to be in a gallery this Saturday, and I barely know how the camera works. So I feel like it is like pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird like that. I feel like people are like that with a lot of things though. Like oh, and it, the other side of that too is like, uh, like we talked about this. I think with Shelley that like realism 
like takes so much practice or like having a style takes so much practice, but actually like making a piece of art, like you could do right now, like you, it doesn't have yeah. to look like a certain thing. It, yeah, exactly. Like if you're like, if you have an intention mm-hmm. and you're just trying to make something, even if it doesn't look like up to snuff for your personal you know, opinion, it's, you've still made art. In fact, like, um, even if you don't have like a pen and paper, if you arrange stones in a way that makes an image or something that's meaningful, or you had intent, that could be art too. Mm -hmm. Sand, sand sculptures like that. You're a musician as well, right? Yeah. What, uh, tell us a little bit about the music and are there any other, uh, artistic areas that you dabble in? Um, it's pretty much just music and visual art. I think I'm, not really great at much else. Um, <laughs> but no, I've, I've also been mu- doing music since as long as I can remember. I'm from a very musical family. My dad was a performer and would like do shows with his acapella group. When I was a kid, we would travel like to different county fairs and go to like South Dakota a lot. Um, so yeah, I grew up a lot, around a lot of singing. Um, I played the tuba really badly for a couple of years in junior high. <laughs> so I have a lot of pride in my bad tuba playing, but, um, no, yeah, no, I've been in bands since I moved to town here in like 2009. Um, in fact, I still make music with one of my closest friends, Scott Ray. Um, you know him from Joe Tugas and the Associates. His wife's also been on the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Amber's also one of my close friends. I was just talking about how, um, Amber didn't like my shoes. Oh, that was the friend? That was the friend, yeah. I love your shoes. I sent the pictures to her immediately when I found them because I knew she would hate them, rightfully so. They're kind of ugly, but they're ugly like a... Like a pug is ugly. Like it's so cute. But Amber, we like the shoes. Yeah. We like them. <laughs> um, but like it's fair though. She's not being mean. I like know, I yeah. knew she was going to hate them and they're kind of <laughs> ugly. And also the amount that I make fun of that woman's Crocs is untenable. <laughs> I'm an actual bully. My mom's a Croc lady too. Yeah. <laughs> I can see the appeal. <laughs> I get it. But <laughs> My mom even has little clip-ons that are crocs so she has mini crocs attached to her larger crocs it's very adorable oh my god okay stop making me like crocs <laughs> sorry stop but i'm trying to make it happen yeah so yeah amber in the shoes amber in the shoes yeah no um yeah because um she and scott were some of the first people that i'm actually um i worked with her like at my first cake decorating job and worked with her for years so where was that at and uh, that was at the hilltop high v actually shelly Pierce worked there with us too. Nice. It's like nice. a nice web. It's like a hive that a lot of people shot off from. Yeah. Were you up there when Freezins was up there then? Brief. Um, yeah, briefly. Cool. Yeah. Very nice. Music, okay, that's not music important. Then. Music yeah. then. Music, yeah. Um, what do you, what's your musical experience like? What are you getting into? Um, so I love songwriting. Um, I just love singing, like in general. I play really shitty rhythm guitar, like really shitty. I try hard and I'm practicing and I'm getting better slowly. You know, like I'm right now I'm drawing stick figures with an yes. acoustic guitar. Um, and one day I will be able to draw like a shaky sketch of Garfield yes. with my acoustic guitar. That's where I'm at. Yeah. That's my whole um, band. Yeah. <laughs> shaky Garfield. Don't sell yourself short. It's great. Um, but yeah, no, I like I like writing music. That's my favorite part is writing and recording. I, I low key kind of hate performing, Mm -hmm. but I do it because it's such a big part of being in a band. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, and also I'm in a, 
this is really nerdy. I am in a five, it performs in a five piece, like Renaissance era acapella quartet at the Renfest. Um, so we're called Decontus and we wear like full, you know, period regalia. I have this gorgeous, stupid, huge hoop skirted kind of like <laughs> Tudor's adjacent dress. Um, my good friend Leah Zaret made it. So like the, the bodice is like handmade so that I can still take breaths. But um, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, um, so we practice. I, I think it used to be you were you were suggested to us a long time ago by one of our earlier guests, um, and that's how I found you on social media a long time oh, back. Nice. And I think that you had some Renaissance photo going on at the time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They just kind of catch me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like a blue whir. It sounds um, like a fun atmosphere to be a performer in though it's it is it is kind of fun it's very i'm a weirdo so like i love the group that i sing with they're such talented incredible individuals and like a lot of the arrangements we do are like done in-house and stuff and just such amazing singers but i'm such a weirdo that like i socially kind of tap out by like 1 p.m mm. when we perform out, out of the ren fest so <laughs> the way we do it is we perform in quartets all the time but there's actually like 11 members so basically you know for like one day, we'll have one soprano, one mezzo, one alto, a tenor and a bass. And then the next day, it'll be the other people. We'll just kind of rotate. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like it's a lot of fun, but I do have to, I find myself needing to like disappear frequently throughout the day just so I can like drop my face muscles for <laughs> like nah. 20 minutes and just kind of stare into the middle distance. You know, you know how yeah. it is. Yeah. Do they still do the, I, I worked at the juggling where they teach kids to juggle. I can't remember what it's like oh, called. The really? Jester School, I think is what it's called. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I know surprisingly little about yeah. like the Renfest at large just yeah, because yeah. like I'm so focused on what I'm doing and and somehow I managed to like miss everything that's happening around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like show up, I sing, I flirt with the mermaids and yes. I sing some more and then I go home and eat pizza at like 9 Love p.m. It. I love that turtle that walks around with the like backpack on. I it's like a huge tortoise. I, I, every year I just follow him around and then I buy some greens to feed him. I have not interacted with the tortoise oh, yet. I love the tortoise. Oh my God. How have I not <laughs> interacted with the tortoise yet? <laughs> well, plus like there's like, you know, the elephants and like, I always want to interact with the ponies, but they're like in the sunniest part of the whole festival. And I am a ghost um <laughs> this is actually my tan um, the nice. tannist i will be all year um but yeah i kind of just stick to the shadows like some undead creature <laughs> no turtles to be found in the shade illustrator and oh yeah band performance schedule doesn't allow for a lot of sunbathing the oh no <laughs> earlier you mentioned that you specialize in in uh drawing fights how did that happen? Like, how did you, like, is it because of, like, what you, is it what you wanted to draw? Or is it just something you realized you were good at or the work you did? I don't know. Everything happened by accident, um, basically. Um, the way that I drew that fighting series, 25th, is I actually got connected with the writer because um, he had previously worked with my spouse, James Hohenstein, because he's also an illustrator. Um, it was one of those things where he needed somebody to finish up this other series that he had written, but didn't have time to draw or his other artists fell out. And so he knew James through that. And then James mentioned, Oh, Frankie's looking for an artist to do like this kind of thing. And I was still a cake decorator at that time. So I remember just kind of like commenting on his Twitter post thing. I was just like, 
hey, I could draw that. And then I sent him like my website and then he emailed me and he was just kind of like, let's go. Let's mm. fucking go. Um, <laughs> and um, it just kind of happened. I try to like draw everything well. Um, I would say I think I do have more fun drawing fights than say like drawing. I don't know. What do I not like to draw? Mm. I don't know. I kind of just like enjoy everything equally, but fights like there's a certain amount of like, you know, a lot of kinetic energy to it. And you got to get used to translating the motion of something. And a lot of illustrators give really good tips online about like which part of the punch you should draw. Some people it's like, oh, draw it after the follow through and then have like a separate action kind of illustrated for like the contact. I don't know. I'm babbling, but um, no, it's just a lot of fun. I've always it's a lot of decisions to make around even something like yeah. that. You're... And then it depends on the writer you're working with too. Like some writers will be like deep in it and like they will choreograph the entire thing and write it out. Like, okay, now this person's going to do like a, like a palm hit or whatever. Like mm. they cut them with their elbow or um, <laughs> just roundhouse them or something like that. And other times they're just kind of like, he, you know, X character takes down Y character or hits them. And then I get to just do what I want, I guess. But, um, I think the reason I, it came a little easier is because I focus really heavily on anatomy and, um, just drawing people, like pe drawing people is hard. Yeah. I think everybody would say that. So I've just put a lot of time into that and it made drawing action a little bit easier because if you can draw people kind of in stasis, then you can kind of get used to drawing them like in motion, you know, like when it, the guy gets punched and like all of his face meat goes one direction <laughs> and like his spit goes another direction and maybe it's, it's just fun. <laughs> Do you think that kind of stemmed from you reading a bunch of manga as a kid? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like, the way that manga artists draw action is it's pretty distinct depending on the artist too. Yeah, yeah. And then if you're, you know, reading, you know, like a romance series or like a shoujo, then there's like almost no action. It's just beautiful long fingers and flowers and longing <laughs> looks and nobody touches. Um, so the opposite of a fight, but, <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of battle manga, it's, it just start reading any one of them and it's a pretty good class on motion and impact and yeah. fun stuff like that. Are there any, uh, artists in the industry that are really inspiring or interesting to you right now? Um, I mean, gosh, there's tons. Like, um, there was um, somebody from the studio that I interned at. Ben Dewey has, like, the most gorgeous drawings of human beings and animals and everything. Um, um, I remember being really inspired by Yang Kyung Il, who drew Shin Angyu Onshi, Onshi, which means Blade of the Phantom Master. That was my favorite. It's not a manga because it's from South Korea, but still my favorite comic series maybe just because it's so gorgeous and so overwrought with detail like it's mm. disgusting yeah the color in those what is the name for like korean manga i think i've always seen it as like manhwa, manhwa but i'm yeah. always like i'm probably wrong yeah, i sound yeah. like an idiot that's my assumption usually mm -hmm. um <laughs> like i've the colored versions yeah the, the colored versions i've seen of those are mm. insanely detailed it's nuts <gasps> Or even just like black and white, just inks. Yeah. it's, I mean, it, it'll vary from artist to artist. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. But um, also there was like Obata and Oba who did like Death Note and Bakuman. The art is insane. Yeah. Um, so those were big influences when I was younger. Um, yeah. But nowadays, like I just kind of look at all the artists that 
we mutually follow each other online and I just look at what they're doing. And then sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, I love this person's work. This is amazing. Why doesn't, I'm like Homer Simpson who just put together his grill and is just like, that's a nice looking grill. Why doesn't mine look like that? Um, (laughs) And then to see artists whose work I really admire say things like vulnerable, like I'm really not happy with my work right now and I don't like to look at it. And I'm just kind of like surprise Pikachu face over here. But (laughs) so I think a lot of the art world is just made up of like, very hard work and passion and self-loathing. I think yeah. I've noticed, at least in like the illustrator realm. So, where, where are people uh, congregating? Uh, you know, like you, you said, the people that you follow online—is it like a Twitter or are you um, on Reddit or? Um, I am still on the sinking ship that is Twitter. <laughs> it's a disaster. But like, I I feel like I've curated it and I've blocked so many accounts that I just have a. A pretty decent time on Twitter, honestly. That's where I keep in touch with a lot of artists who um, live in different parts of the country than me. You know, you just share memes and just talk to each other and comment a lot. Um, I have an Instagram, but I'm just trash at uh, keeping up with it. I'm trying to get better. Um, But I guess, like, to my perception, it doesn't yield as easy of a time to, like, chat with other people just because of how the comments get buried under an image post. I don't know. I feel like an old, old person right now who's just like i don't understand the gram because i don't it's a me problem um but i I have a similar feeling about insta i have a hard time starting conversations on instagram and like i I don't feel that way about facebook i have an easy time starting conversations facebook comments are like set up a lot easier but i mean that was kind of the point of the question i was asking is uh because like a lot of people misunderstand like what Twitter's original purpose was, which was kind of like a place for like journalists and artists and yeah. like all of these. town square. Yeah. The, the town square. And it, it really didn't make a great user experience for people who weren't those like the, Twitter has is so small compared to like uh, Facebook. Like it has like 2% yeah. of those users. So it really was for those like power users and people that disseminate information quickly there. So I'd wondered if maybe you had like gone over to Mastodon or if like Reddit was the spot or if there was a place uh, that was becoming because of the the, like blue check stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah. No, Twitter is a disaster. Um, I I don't understand Mastodon. I want to use it. I don't get it. I uh, I tried to. (laughs) Um, I'm going to keep making an effort. I, I mean, I feel like I just keep like. I have the app downloaded. I made a username on an instance. Is it called an instance? And I feel like I have opened it up several times and just been like, "Uh oh, it's like a flashback of like being in math class and not understanding anything and just kind of, I give it up. Um, So I feel like in about three weeks, I'll open it up again and give it the old college try. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, But basically I like a lot of people on Twitter keep like when a new social media app pops up, they'll just like make an account on it, camp on their name, you know, so it can't Mm -hmm. be taken by somebody else or at least something that's similar to their username on different platforms, um, but don't really use it yet. So I did the same thing with Mastodon. I was just kind of like, okay, Kat Bauman on one weird section of one part of Mastodon. Mm -hmm. So nobody else can be me, but I don't know how to use it. So (laughs) I don't know. Again, I just feel like Grandpa Simpson yelling at clouds. It's very weird. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I've tried to connect. I've tried to connect with that app so many times, and it just it didn't it didn't happen even when it, before when it was more useful. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, but yeah, I don't feel too old about the gram because I, I feel the same way. It was real adaptation process for yeah, me. I'm, I'm a lot less intimidated by the gram than I am by Mastodon, just because at least it like, it's pretty, it's dumbed down. It's user friendly. Like I get how to use it. I just don't find it as easy to like interact with people so much. I don't know. I don't think that's what it's for. I think it's very much for like a self update. Look at, look yeah. at what I'm doing and maybe comment on it i think that makes sense i think it's more about like audience interaction more than like point to point interaction mm -hmm. yeah no for sure like that's a really good point and then people who are in like my line of work and maybe for whatever reason like don't have a website to host their images or something yeah it's it's pretty easy and free to just have yeah. an instagram so and a you lot can of put people... your shop on there too that's yeah nice. yeah it's it's really easy to like set it up i'm just I don't know. My attention span it can't stay on that app for yeah. very long. Yeah. And if you have a website, you can just point everyone to that anyway yeah. and just only have to work on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always, it's funny because, um, one of my closest friends, Lorraine, like every like 18 months or so, she'll like send me a text like, Oh, I noticed you remembered that you have an Instagram <laughs> because you liked like 50 things that I posted this year. And I was just like, Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> like you went back like eight months. What are you doing? <laughs> that, that should be normalized by now. Too. Like when I when I when I follow someone on social media, like I like what what is the purpose if not to like look at the things that people put out? You know, <laughs> just in a bunch, just binge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that kind of leads to my next question: is where is it the job of an illustrator to connect with an audience the same way? Uh, that uh, maybe, uh, like, it, is that what you what you aim to do? Like, how do you connect with an audience, or do you hand it over to a publishing house and they kind of do it all? <clears throat> oh, if I could have my way, my druthers, I would just one hundred percent always just leave it to a publishing house. But each individual, you know, publisher is going to have a different like standard for you know marketing or a different budget for it so i mean you can't always rely on that so a lot of artists do really well if they're it's it's not always i've heard like steve lieber he was one of my mentors at helioscope he's mentioned time and again that it's not necessarily always the quality of your art that dictates success in like certain parts of the industry mm -hmm. a lot of the times if you're just very charismatic and good at having an online presence which it's really hard to have like um I don't know, like my presence on Twitter, I'm just kind of like a little gremlin. I'm also a little gremlin on Facebook, but in a different way because my grandmother's on there. So <laughs> like, I'm like a, I'm like a gremlin that's like safe for grandma Pat. Um, I don't know. Um, so, but sometimes it works in your favor to be a little gremlin. Um, cause like I've definitely made like work connections with people just from like, you know, posting memes or chatting with them about something stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you never really know. So sometimes it's up to just like trying to catch people's attention or just constantly posting your work online. You know, some artists really like to post like works in progress because some people are really engaged with it. And sometimes you get no hits on it. It's, it's a little bit of a racket sometimes. So I just kind of just try my best. And I think most of my reach comes from the published work in itself. Like if anybody picks it up and reads it or if it shows up at a store or somebody makes a review of it or, or it makes some kind of list, like, mm -hmm. which is not me really actively doing anything necessarily. Or, um, again, like I get a lot of my work through like word of mouth things, like, um, writers must be happy working with me. They're like, yeah, talk to Kat. She can really draw just 
a dude getting punched real good. Um, <laughs> and then they hit me up. So yeah, it's really different for everybody, but yeah, yeah. again, kind of a racket. <laughs> sure. If someone just asked you to draw like their friend getting punched, would you do that? Yeah. Hmm. I'll draw anybody getting punched. I mean, not like, okay, I'm not going to draw anybody getting punched. <laughs> I'm not going to draw anybody getting punched. Okay. Like no it's kid punching. Uh, no, no kid like, punching. If it's in good fun and like, if it's like WWE rules, like it's not real, there's no bad blood mm. and I can make it real cartoony. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That'd be, that's a fun man. I can't just make a poster that says like screw these kids and then it's just like <laughs> yeah yeah punch these kids no. <laughs> just like that sounds I like said- a Tim Robinson sketch just like <laughs> wrestling babies actually I just saw I was like James and I started watching the new season of I Think You Should Leave and there's definitely oh, a sketch of like Fred Armisen pretending to beat the shit out of a kid but it's like an old man in a wig Love it. wait so the <laughs> third season came out yesterday <laughs> I know <laughs> I know. I only got to watch like the first episode and a half because I had to go out of town. But tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be watching that tonight as well. Oh, after yeah. we set up our our gallery. I'm going to eat some nachos. I'm going to watch the whole season. I'm going to eat the whole thing. I think it's a little weird for Ark. I'm going to see what she thinks of it because <gasps> I haven't showed her the rest. Oh, my gosh. Well, start with season one. There's so many good ones. Yeah. I've been every couple of months I force my sister to watch the coffin flop sketch. Yeah, I love it so much. And I'm just, to me, that's peak. That's yeah. peak. Just, just shot after shot of body after body falling out of shit wood and shit wood and hitting pavement. I love the the hot dog car one. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Where he's like, what happened? Yeah, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> okay, we can. It's so applicable. Have you guys not watched I Think You Should I, Leave? I haven't. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it is so good. It's the only reason a person should still have a Netflix yeah. <laughs> subscription. If Auntie Donna comes back out, I'd do that yes. too. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Auntie Donna too. It's like kind of like, um, it's very like, it's almost like Dadaist, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of Tim and Eric-y, just yeah. like almost like absurdity that's mm-hmm. so absurd. It's almost like lampooning absurdity back. It's like, it's is weird. It, yeah. Is it a Fred's, one of Fred Armisen's shows? No. no. He's just, he's one of the people who guests on it every once in a while. No. What's I his name again? Thinking Portland. Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson, yeah. yeah. He's a ex-SNL writer and just been a comedy writer forever. He's one of those people that everyone in the writing world knows about because he just writes the craziest weirdest premises yeah it's like sometimes when you're watching his sketches you can kind of like tell what the like pitch for it was yeah yeah and the whole idea of i think you should leave is characters that are making like a cringy scene and that's that's why it's like i think you should leave yeah yeah it sums (laughs) it up perfectly (laughs) like i mean in the least like recent in season two there was like a scene where like they had to it was an office and they had to do a meeting through lunch and tim robinson's character was so upset by this he's like you can't schedule a meeting during lunch so he like keeps trying to and the way that the sketches build up on themselves is also absurd because he like keeps trying to like sneak eat a hot dog through his sleeve during the meeting and when his like coworkers (laughs) catch him he like sucks the hot dog up and starts choking (laughs) oh it's 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 one of my that and auntie donna are like my two favorite current like filming sketch shows for sure follow auntie donna on tiktok they're very funny yes i i do and i I watch their podcast it's so funny they also um guested on a podcast that i love so much it's called hello from the magic tavern oh i don't know that one Oh my God. It's my favorite. It's so good. It's nice. like, it's cause you've heard of like D and D or like 
you know, real play D and D podcast. So it's kind of like that because it's like a story. It's an overarching story that takes place in a mystical world on the other side of like a portal behind a Burger King in Chicago. But, um, anyway, but, um, it's like three main characters that are always on it. Just like Arnie Neekamp plays himself. And then there's two other guys who play characters and then they have a guest on every episode and they'll like make up a D and D character basically for themselves. Like if you've played D and D you're like, okay, I'm going to be a tiefling. Um, I'm going to be a chaotic bisexual tiefling and I'm looking for, I don't know, my lost uncle, something like that. Like they'll, they'll come up with like sort of backstories and then just improv an entire episode. And it's so funny. And auntie Donna was on an episode and it's, and I quote it all the time to torture my spouse. So I love it. Yeah. They were on one of my favorites, uh, podcast, but outside and that episode's great too. Oh, Auntie Donna was? Yeah. Yep. That's very good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry <laughs> we derailed promoting it. promoting Netflix. You, yeah, no, it's not promoting Netflix, but like you two have some homework to do because I feel like yeah, from what I'll, I understand about sure. your humor, you might like it. I, yeah, I know Jacob will like it. Willis could go both ways. I'd, I'd want to <laughs> yeah, I don't want to presume <laughs> what your absurdist humor flavors are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that might get cut completely. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's sticking. I, I'm out of stri- scripted questions, um, uh, but I, you did say you're going to eat nachos. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, best nachos in Mankato? You um, got an answer for that? Oh, my, La Bamba, probably. Yeah. Although, like, La Bamba is just delicious. I actually don't get the nachos at La Bamba. I get, I live and die by the shrimp tacos and corn in a cup. Corn, corn in, a, in cup. a cup. Corn in a cup. It's so good. It's just a cup of corn, mm. and then they jazz it up. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Do they I don't know. Put the red sauce on it. Yeah. Or is it, oh, it's the red like red sauce. sauce and like sour cream and like queso fresco. I presume it's just incredible, mm. and it doesn't really matter how much it stops you up. It's delicious. And they use real queso fresco at La Bamba. Yeah. Right. A lot of places in town, the queso's just white, well, and cheese. Where can like, people find you? <laughs> where can people find your work? Um, and yeah, let them know. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't really have like the public follow me on Facebook that much. Cause like I said, that's where I'm, a, I'm like a grandma safe gremlin, but, um, you can find me on Instagram when I remember to post every eight months, um, at, um, at Kat Bauman comics, although I'm getting better at it. And, uh, you can find me, um, on Twitter at cat underscore Bauman and Bauman is B-A-U-M-A-N-N. Lots of German surnames in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, where else? I have my website um, is catbauman.com. And every once in a while, I remember I have a Tumblr account and I post new work there. And that's just, I think it's just Cat Bauman, all one word there. I'm kind of, I try to keep it the same on every. They'll probably be thing. able to find it from your website or something too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I do have like buttons to go to my different social yeah. media, but I'm the most active chaotic gremlin on Twitter. Um, but again, we don't know how much longer that's going to be a site. So. <laughs> yeah well uh we'll post some links to some comics you can buy too that we talked today and uh yeah thanks for coming on the show it was a good time yeah thanks for having me thanks for letting me ramble about um i think you should leave and i think i should leave now thank you thank you